Lord, if only we could build Grace Baptist Church Elderate like Kabwata Baptist Church. In our situation, every few years we know our members would go. We are not very many still, but uh, beginning of last year, it was sad to see about 10 members, key members, leave us for various cities like Nairobi City, Kisumu City. Often I joke when I'm in either of those cities, I tell them, look, I'm now going back to the village of Eldoret. It's not a village, but uh, I console myself that we are not a city, we are a village. Anyway, I did get my answer. I did get my help from this brother who didn't spare me. He told me, no, you don't aim at building an empire in Eldoret, but prepare men and women, those who God will allow to come to your church, prepare them so that when the time comes for them to relocate because work cannot be found in Eldoret, they will have been matured in God's word. And I got the answer I needed, but it's not quite what I was looking for. Dear missionaries um, from uh, Kabwata Baptist Church, through Kabwata Baptist Church, do not give up. And do not just expect to build your empires out there. If the Lord should... Uh, allow you to, uh, and your church to expand and your members to, to be with you as you expand, fine. But if, if that cannot be because the towns where you are, um, as uh, these people um, continue with their education, uh, they must of necessity come to Lusaka uh, or uh, move to other places where they can get uh, various, you know, employment, you labor on. We cannot all build our empires where, wherever we are, but prepare men and women, boys and girls, to go. And when we prepare them and they go, they will not settle in such churches that we described last night as churches where they are starving. So let's uh, be at it. Let's labor on as the Lord enables us. And um, the reward is his to give as he sees fit. Now, that's behind us. I, I just thought I needed to mention that. I thought it would have come somewhere in my preaching, but I, I, I thought it was good to just mention it uh, at this particular point. Friends, we've been uh, tracing through um, God's goodness to you, God's grace to you in your missions. And yeah, we began just by seeing that God is a, our God is a God of mission. Uh, that's his business. Um, and, and we are not twisting his arms. We are not pleading with him to do what he is reluctant to do. He is at the forefront. And then we saw uh, that uh, we cannot go into this work unless he gives us his Holy Spirit. Which again, or whom again, he promised. And we, we saw that how the eleven. Uh, needed to have the 12th person and then the Holy Spirit came uh, upon them on the day of Pentecost. Then we saw in the first um, sermon that um, uh, Peter preached how it gave, gave us the content of missions. And if that must be Christ, Christ, Christ. He must be the one we proclaim Wherever, whenever, always, it is Christ. Well, I would like um, this afternoon then to bring um, to us, uh, again from the book of uh, uh, Acts, but I want us to 
spare chapter 3, I'll just mention it by way of passing, and then we look at chapter 4. There in chapter 4 is what I'm calling opposition to missions. Opposition to missions. But then, as since we arrived and listening to various reports being given and testimonies, I, I want to uh, bring in uh, the, the word challenges, challenges in missions. It's still opposition, uh, but I want to look at it as challenges. Because challenges, when they come, from one perspective, we will look at them as things coming to derail us. From one perspective, they, to, to hinder us, to block the, the spread of the gospel, to frustrate our efforts. Challenges do that. But also when we look at opposition to the gospel, actually it ends to be the same thing. So um, opposition to missions or challenges in missions. And if that happens to us when we are in mission, when we are serving the Lord, if we should face challenges, what should we do? And what we should do is to seek from God holy boldness, holy boldness, so that ultimately the gospel may continue. Well, let it be known that those honestly who uh, seek to propagate the gospel, to proclaim Christ, uh, faithfully, will face opposition, will face challenges or persecution. Uh, ironically, uh, and in the book of Acts, uh, the greatest opposition Christianity encountered was actually from the religious um, quarters. Uh, the book of Acts just shows us how the Jewish religious uh, community um, chased after and sought to hinder the spread of the gospel. The Lord Jesus himself, by the way, faced opposition, and uh, soon his followers would uh, uh, face that. And he had told them in the book of John, for example, John chapter 13, verse 16, John 15, verse 18. And now the apostles are face to face with opposition. And that was going to be um, the way forward. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for uh, fellow pastors who have uh, stood here this afternoon. And even those who uh, spoke uh, in these past days uh, experiences, joys and challenges, uh, things to learn regarding missions. And uh, this afternoon then, Lord, we pray as we look at uh, uh, challenges in missions, we pray that uh, uh, your word will uh, bring comfort to us, O oh Lord, and that then we will uh, be faithful wherever you have called us, uh, either in this church or through this church to other places, that we will uh, remain faithful and praying always for holy boldness to continue. Please hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Acts chapter 4 um, sets before us uh, a case of um, uh, challenges that face uh, missions. And uh, we won't read the whole chapter in one uh, setting, but we will be looking at uh, the first 30, 31 verses in portions. Uh, and in this passage, uh, I've simply divided it into uh, three uh, ways. Um, I'm just calling the first one 
the question uh, the apostles were asked, the answer they provided, and then finally the freedom uh, to uh, proclaim the gospel uh, that, uh, uh, of course, God uh, had granted them. So the first is the question uh, that the apostles were asked. Uh, this was like interrogation, um, question and answer, but um, this is what we uh, are uh, having before us. Actually, chapter 3 uh, gives us a record of Peter and John uh, having performed an authentic miracle uh, of a crippled beggar uh, at the temple yard. Uh, it was so authentic uh, all who passed by entering and coming out of the temple knew of the beggar day by day for years that he may have been there. They knew him. So it's not a made-up case uh, like uh, uh, the, some of these uh, miracle crusades where they manufacture, they import um, cripples, uh, and then um, at appropriate stage then these uh, people are supposedly brought to the front and they jump out of some um, chairs to show that a miracle has taken place. But here was an authentic miracle performed that the crowd gathered there so ever so clearly a miracle has taken place on a person they knew ever so well. And this person uh, then jumped up and down, praising the Lord. And, uh, I mean, it's something that no one could, uh, um, uh, could, could deny. Just then, we come to chapter 4. Because there then we come to where the question is. Let me read the first seven verses. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple uh, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with uh, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So that is the question that was set before uh, these people, Peter and John, um, sadly uh, get arrested um, by this authority. As we have read, it was now late in the evening. They had performed such a miracle, and when people crowded together and marveling, they had opportunity, grabbed opportunity, uh, and boldness was upon them. They preached the gospel in such a way, at the end they charged people uh, with um, their sin uh, of having rejected the Savior God had sent to them and, of course, offered them repentance. And that is when uh, the, these two apostles then get arrested. Well, uh, what upset the authorities so much? Why? Why did the authorities get mad at them and capture them? Well, of course, we are told in verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
of course, uh, this was uh, instigated particularly by the Sadducees. And we know that because they are the ones who, among other denials, uh, they denied uh, the doctrine of resurrection. Uh, the Sadducees were known for that. Um, and, and so, uh, please, if you uh, just turn very quickly, if you are able to Acts chapter 23, uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 8, um, where Paul was uh, before the council, uh, and Paul uh, saw that the best way, I mean, he was an amazing man, he saw that in this particular um, council uh, gathered to, um, to listen to his case, some were uh, Pharisees, some were Sadducees, uh, verse 7 and 8. And when he had uh, said this, a, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, verse 8, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And so back to our passage, here are a, a couple of apostles uh, proclaiming that the one they had put to death is resurrected. And that just made them wild. That's the Pharisees. So uh, they um, gathered uh, these people and uh, put them into prison. However, verse 4 tells us, in one sense it was too late. The, the, the intended, the desired result had taken place, verse 4 of chapter 4 of Acts. But many of those who had heard the, the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 souls. Okay, they were believers. Well, um, these uh, leaders, the Sanhedrin, these leaders um, felt threatened. Uh, you look there at verse 5 and 6, on, that, on the next day, uh, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priests and Caiaphas and John and uh, Alexander and all who were um, of the high priestly family. They were threatened. Um, their authority, if you like, uh, was brought uh, to question. The powers that be um, felt shaken. And of course, then the question that forms our um, point there, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, these guys are drunk, honestly, with power. Uh, they were desperate to, to safeguard their authority, to protect it. Honestly, they, they knew, surely they knew. They knew these uh, people belong uh, to the one they had put to death, uh, Jesus. Um, but it's like they're just hoping against hope. There are times when we may be like that, just, you know, something seemed to be going obvious, but you're just hoping against hope that it will uh, not work uh, that way. Well. Um, in this case, uh, they, they knew, but, uh, and this opposition is not new. It's not new. Um, Jesus certainly had warned them uh, much earlier. In, in, in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus had uh, uh, informed them of what they can expect in John chapter 15, uh, for example, John 15, verse 21, uh, we find uh, uh, that uh, captured in uh, chapter 15, verse 21. This is what we read. But all these things 
they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And so the Lord Jesus, their master and teacher, had uh, prepared them, had forewarned them. Uh, this uh, that we are reading now in Acts chapter 4, we may say is the first recorded persecution and many more uh, will uh, soon follow. Uh, indeed, uh, in chapter 5, in chapter especially chapter 6 and chapter 7, and later through the life of, of Paul, uh, persecution uh, would abound. And so, uh, friends, if we are to remain faithful to the gospel, here is a person who has been uh, miraculously uh, saved, and, and the apostles see this as opportunity for the gospel, and they declare Christ risen, the only hope of sinners. And they suffered. If we maintain the true gospel, we too must prepare to face opposition. And opposition in a wider sense, uh, we must uh, be prepared to face challenges. Let's be aware of that. I think we know it, but uh, we need to be reminded. So anyway, that is the question the apostles were asked. By what power? Of course, we are going to learn that. But the question in one sense was so unnecessary because they knew uh, Jesus. Put him to death. He's declared as risen. The evidence of his resurrection is people's lives being changed, but these religious um, leaders refuse to accept that. In the second place, we see the answer they provided. What answer did the apostles give um, to this question that they were asked? And we see that now. Um, as we run right from verse 8 all the way to verse 20. And uh, uh, in verse 8, uh, we read this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people of, and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven again, uh, given among men by whom, uh, by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And it goes on. Well, um, Peter gave them the answer that they asked for. And is he afraid? No. He is not afraid. In fact, he is so clear. He is so forthright. He confessed Christ before his very murderers. They are the ones who murdered Jesus. But right on their face, he declares his position, his stand. And, and all believers, by the way, should be prepared. We should be prepared. Now, we may never, in our own setting, like in your country, in mine, you know, we, have re we live in very religious um, countries, we may not face such opposition in this setting, but we must be prepared to give a defense of our faith, as Peter himself sets before us. This happened to him. No wonder later, years on, a mature uh, pastor, Peter, would write these words. In First Peter chapter 3, Peter helps us um, in, in this passage that has been called or used for apologetics, First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15, I can pick it from verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But, verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Well, Peter did it. Certainly, he was gentle. He respected them, but he was bold. Well, friends, that we all must be if uh, we are to be defenders of the gospel that we that has brought us here, uh, actually. And what Peter did here, by answering these people the way he did there in verse 8 and 9, I'm going to 10 there, Peter sets before us, I think, it's completely God-centered, what he's saying here. Uh, but there are three things that we, we draw from, uh, from what uh, he says. Uh, for one, uh, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit uh, that, that we see uh, underlined in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. Now, of course, every uh, believer uh, has the Holy Spirit but, oh, friends, it is as we are closely in obedience and walking in that obedience of God's word that we also experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We must be ever so ready, always with God's word, walking close with God's word. That then when duty calls, because we are in obedience of God's word, we will have uh, that unique experience of the Holy Spirit. Remembering, of course, that every believer uh, has him, as we saw uh, last time. But for work, uh, special work, um, when duty calls for it, the Lord will grant the Holy Spirit. He doesn't grant it when we live carelessly, when we don't trust him or trust his word. Peter demonstrates a man who is closely um, in line with the word of God, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Surely that's what we see in verse 8. 
But then also from verse 8 to verse 12, we do see um, how then uh, they spoke in the name of the Son of God. They brought this ever so clearly. Um, if I were to just read those verses quickly again, uh, Peter, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, um, said to them, and this is now what happens, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled person, a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the peoples of Israel uh, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. And, and indeed, he goes on uh, all the way to verse 12, because in verse 11, he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. That's a, a, a verse that many of us have known as a memory verse for so long. That is the context. Well, so uh, really, uh, as uh, they bring out uh, these uh, two men, as they bring out the truth uh, of uh, uh, Jesus as the Son of God, uh, they bring out this truth. One, that Jesus is alive there in verse 10 by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he's talking about an individual, a known person. It is in his name that this miracle has taken place. You crucified him, God raised him. So he's not dead, he's alive. And then in the second place, that he's not only alive, in the second place, uh, their opposition to Jesus is nothing new. Uh, basically, um, Peter and John are telling them, uh, what you've done is, uh, is not out of the ordinary. It's, it's not a surprise to God. It's actually outworking of your, of your lack of faith. Disobedience to God, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone by you because they're the religious leaders in Israel. They ought to know better. They ought to be the ones using the Old Testament scriptures to bring people to the preparation of the Messiah that God had prepared. They missed it. They missed it. So rather than build on that foundation, what happened? They destroyed the foundation. Whatever house that will be built in a destroyed foundation, that house will not last, will not stand. So Jesus is alive. Uh, the way they have acted towards him was predicted in the Old Testament. And the claims of Jesus are like no other. That's what we see in verse 12. The claims of Jesus, whom they killed and rose again. Their action is not a surprise. Now, the claims of that person are like no other. In other words, exclusive, verse 12. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. Not in the Sadducees. Uh, that, that's, that's biting to them. And he's face to face with these people. Salvation is not in you, Sadducees. It's not even in you, self-righteous Pharisees. Salvation is in Christ alone, the one whom you have rejected. Wow. And he's the only mediator. Friends, that is 
the message that must be proclaimed before the Jews, and he's right before the Jewish leaders here. But it's not only before the Jewish leaders, it is the salvation that we must also proclaim even to the Gentiles. And of course, as we continue to read the book of Acts, and then they were going to move, as they had been told, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the ends of the earth. It's going to be the same message. So you see, if we don't make Christ clear, then you know, sinners will perish. That, that, that's, uh, that's where we are. We either make Christ and proclaim him ever so clearly for sinners to be saved, or sinners will perish. Now, if we do, we may suffer. We must, please. That's what I'm campaigning for here. We must. Dear missionaries, however hard the work is, however unmoved the people we are seeking to reach are, they seem unmoved. Please, let's remember, we must not change the gospel. So if we maintain the gospel, yes, we may suffer, but God is surely building his kingdom. Let's remember, he is the one calling, and those whom he calls will come in. While we are still at the answer, remember, a question has been posed to them, by what name, by what authority, and the answer they have just provided uh, is clear. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom you killed. God raised him up. Before we leave this point, there's something that I'm adding, and it's a crucial point, but I, I'm calling it God in the equation. God in the equation. And that's what we read in verses 13 to 20. You know, if it's in class of maths, and I'm not quite a mathematician like my wife, but um, if it is in a maths class equation, so we are told, it's a situation in which two parts have to be considered together so that the whole uh, situation can be understood and explained. God needs to be in the equation so that we really can come to the proper conclusion, the end of the matter. It's not just the authorities on the one hand, Peter on the other giving them, uh, on behalf of uh, the apostles, um, giving their answer and take it or leave it. It is God. God is at the center of all this. You know what? Ordinarily, when Peter opened his mouth and spoke the way he did, uh, he would have expected imprisonment or death. I mean, after all, his master just died a number of weeks previous. And, and, and these authorities just getting another person, supporting the man they had put to death, and even making claims related to that man, the best they would have done, humanly speaking, is, come on, let's get rid of this man. And by getting rid of him, we really will subdue all the others. So Peter is at a stage where imprisonment and... Uh, Death could have just been his portion. But Peter astonished them very much by the things that we are learning here. Because from verse 13, as we see, uh, I mean, these people, they had what Peter said, and uh, their conscience began to work. 
Because in verse 13, and, and we see a few things here. Notice four things that we see from verse 14. One, the boldness. The boldness of Peter and John. This just caused the leaders to be greatly surprised, astonished. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that caused them to be surprised. So, there was their boldness. But two, there's something else that uh, pushed these people back. The leaders realized that Peter and John were not fresh graduates from the university where Gamaliel is teaching. No, because we are told there, middle of verse 13, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. So here were uneducated, common men. I suppose what made, made it worse was that they are from Galilee. Galileans, you know, uh, earlier uh, in the book of John, uh, Nathaniel uh, even asked, can anything good come from uh, Nazareth in Galilee? And here is something good coming from there. And it's like, no, how can that happen? These are uneducated people. Well, so boldness they demonstrated. And the fact that they were seen as uneducated, but they spoke of things that disturbed their hearers. And then in the third place, the leaders recalled something. The leaders recalled something. The end of verse 13. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Wow. Of course, one would remember during the trial of Jesus, if these leaders were so busy in their, uh, their life, so they didn't follow every time when Jesus was teaching. But certainly, when Jesus stood um, for trial um, and, and he was unfairly tried, John was there. Peter was there. And this Sanhedrin, the council, remembered they were with Jesus. And then in the fourth place, the evidence was right there. The, the, the verse 14 tells us, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Ah, that's exciting. They have built their case and finally they say, this is the evidence. And the evidence is there. Oh, dear friends, These guys, then, of course, we are told, verse 15 to 18, they're desperate. What are we going to do with these people? Let's, let's find out what we can do. In fact, the evidence, we can't deny that, but let's just let's, let's warn them so that they don't speak anymore in this name. And so they tell them to stand aside, they consult one another, and then they say, okay, bring them in. And, and so they put a ban and say, listen, go, but don't speak anymore. You are not going to continue with this uh, um, proclamation of Jesus, basically. The gospel must stop. That's what they were saying. Well, verses 19 and 20 are there to really give us encouragement. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. 
for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Oh. You see, God cannot be muzzled. God cannot be stopped. God can only but be obeyed. So friends, the question that uh, the apostles were asked, then the answer that they provided, so, so what? Where, where do we go from here? Well, um, verses 21 to 31 uh, clearly tells us they are free to proclaim the gospel. They were free to proclaim the gospel. And just quickly, um, with the dying minutes we have, let me read verses 21 to 31. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no, uh, no way to punish them, because the people, for all, were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 30 years, 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set, uh, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow, friends. Um, here then, um, they are free to proclaim the gospel. But that freedom... Uh, came, if you like, at a price. They've been warned. They've been threatened. Indeed, soon again, they will be captured. They'll be beaten, but immediately they leave. Um, the authorities, they would go back rejoicing, being counted worthy. What's happening here? They know the gospel. They have been entrusted with the gospel, and nothing will stop them. Um, proclaiming that which they are convinced. Let me just bring in what we have read, those many verses we have read. Bring these two points. One is that they took the threats very seriously. They took the threats very seriously, but they turned to the sovereign Lord in prayer. They didn't mock what was going on. Certainly they knew that was the authority. They could not just, you know, ignore them. But then in the second place, they turned to the sovereign Lord in prayer. And see how they address the Lord. They see him, acknowledge him as the creator who has spoken in his word, and that these things that are happening are not a surprise to their God. 
What do we make of this? Because at the end, they pray for boldness. They didn't pray that those who were molesting them would just collapse and, and go blind. No, they actually just pray for boldness. They didn't conclude, these are, Lord, these are your enemies, so just, just, just kill them so we can have a free reign. No, please remember, we said it, was it yesterday or previously, the, the, the field, the mission field, are these very people. Later on, by the way, it is said that many uh, uh, priests uh, turned to the faith. And so what they are asking for is boldness in verse 29. What do we make then of these things? As uh, obviously our time is over. Just a few areas of application. One, dear believers, if you're a believer here, so certainly I'm talking to the pastors, preachers, missionaries, but I'm talking also to all true believers here. We are called to be humble, to be humble in our Christian experience. We must demonstrate humility in the face of opposition or challenge because of the gospel that we love. We are not going to take arms to fight against those who, as it were, give us a hard time. So when, when they come upon us, when they, when they make um, laws or they just send out a word and saying, listen, you can't uh, preach the gospel, what do we do? Uh, honestly, we need to learn to be humble and then to turn to the Lord in prayer. Let me share with you uh, what I have um, from these notes that I treasure. Um, and I'm so thankful to the Lord knowing that Many of these things that I've been referring to are in that book, By Fire and By Cloud. Uh, that's exciting. But just listen to uh, this in these dying minutes uh, as uh, I seek to uh, apply uh, what we have seen. And I'm urging that we will be humble, but be prayerful, not hating um, those who... Uh, see things different or those who basically want to stop us uh, from um, uh, preaching the gospel. In uh, the prayer letter of uh, uh, 1992, September to December, my dear brother wrote this and I share it with you. Uh, let me just read this paragraph. We have almost completed reorganizing the Sunday morning uh, Bible study uh, that takes uh, place before the worship service by adding three new classes to it, namely the new converts, the new members, and the young people's classes. These study groups uh, meet fortnightly, uh, alternating with a plenary prayer meeting. Please pray for the men leading these studies, that they may fulfill their work in a God-glorifying way for the good of the souls of many. And then the particular few uh, sentences that I want us to pick. Our afternoon service, which was discontinued early in the year when the Ministry of Education forbade churches to meet in schools, recently recommenced 
when the deacons found an alternative meeting place in a lecture theater at the university's uh, school of medicine. And we thank God for this gracious answer to our prayers. I mean, that's just a little bit, but that excited me. It's an answer to prayer. And what prayer? Well, here was a church, your church facing a situation where your afternoon uh, worship services could not go on because of the ministry uh, putting the ban uh, on, on people using school. So, well, God answered your prayer. Uh, you didn't uh, convene um, a meeting to go and approach uh, the, the authorities and, and raise complaints. Ah, there's a place for that. But the end of that quote is, thank God that he answered the prayers. And, and then, uh, just allow me to uh, bring uh, this also, but there was uh, this time uh, as your building project was going on. Um, and so that, uh, again, goes back to uh, 1992. I, I treasure this. I mean, maybe I'll get a copy of that book, uh, but I treasure uh, my little notes here uh, because uh, uh, it reminds me of uh, uh, those days. Okay. Um, in reference to your building project, uh, you, you did have this dear brother, Glenn uh, Carlson, uh, from South Africa who came. You had some funds, and so the building began. Um, uh, but of course, the time reached before the building is over. Uh, then he had to leave. Um, uh, but then uh, along the way, I believe, uh, some other brother uh, came in, maybe locally, and the work went on. But in his contribution, that's a note from the project manager, I, I kept this over the years, I like it, uh, nearer the end, this is said. You know, thinking of uh, how, yes, building anything is very expensive, I and mean, certainly this was in 1992, uh, and, and therefore, uh, 30 plus years, things haven't gone any cheaper, but he goes on to, to make uh, some comparison here. He says, I quote, we calculated one day to try to get perspective that an American earning an average wage worked about six minutes to earn enough for a loaf of bread. How about that? You work six minutes and you are able to buy a loaf of bread. So, the, the, okay, let me just read on. Uh, to buy a loaf of bread. The better paid Zambian works about three hours for the same loaf of bread. Yet, and this is uh, the helpful thing, yet, as I have lived among them, I find them accommodating, cheerful, generous, and very happy in the Lord. The seriousness with which they worship and live out their lives unto Christ convinces me that my uh, investment of perhaps a year here building for them will be one of my wisest. And then he concludes by saying, uh, KBC, uh, KCB, that is your church, um, in Lusaka, can thank God that he has planted such a powerful and effective witness here. The point, of course, that this structure, I believe, that we live, uh, we now worship in, now becomes then uh, that which reminds you of, uh, of God and of God's gracious uh, power. God, uh, thanking God that he has planted such a powerful and effective witness here, somewhere where then uh, God's word can be faithfully preached. Well, um, uh, any minute? Well, here are minus three or four minutes. My brother will be gracious enough just to let me um, read 
Theo, maybe I'll leave that and see is there anything else that uh, I could read. I mean, there are a few of those that I thought would really just stand out to be an encouragement to you as a church. Let me read this little portion, which is now a private letter just between the two of us. Uh, just a few years back, that is 1997, my brother wrote to me and said, our building project has really advanced uh, as Nigel Lacey and his wife should be able to testify, that is, uh, uh, the former missionaries that you had here. Uh, previously, they were in Nairobi, uh, and after coming from here, they returned home before God called Nigel home. But then, Nigel was here. When he was here with his wife, they visited to see what was happening here. So the quotation goes on, or the quote goes on. They were just inspecting it today, in fact, we are hoping to move into the new sanctuary at the beginning of August. The building will not be totally finished then, but it will hopefully be habitable. And the sentence to encourage us, we are really looking forward to that day because it will be a major landmark in the history of the church, certainly so that the gospel can be preached here. It will also mark our ministry, make our ministry a lot easier in our community because we will have a more permanent ministry base. Oh, that the day may come. And indeed, the day came. And here we are listening to his word in the structure. So friends, uh, let's take challenges that God allows to come to us uh, in a humble way and these challenges driving us to prayer because we just don't know how much God is going to do. Allow me to throw in my own little experience. For many years, of course, uh, I served in Nairobi as a member and then uh, as a fellow elder in Trinity Baptist Church, Nairobi. I, in my case, did not have uh, a plan uh, that uh, the time was ripe, I should now go for a church plant. But God, in his uh, wise and strange providence, uh, allowing uh, illness to be in my family, God just drove me out with my family, uh, out of Nairobi uh, to Eldoret. And uh, uh, there, uh, not knowing what will be in the days that were ahead, we now have a church there. And we thank God for that. And that uh, from our church, the Lord has helped us to plant two other churches, one in the town of Kericho and the other one in the town or the city of Nairobi. And we are itching, we would desire to plant another church. Well, we uh, want to make sure we are uh, able to do that as we go along. My brother challenged us the other night here, we are never going to have all the money we want then to say, now let's go for church plant. So I go back home challenged and thinking, how then uh, should we uh, just jump out and do uh, another church plan? Dear brethren, labor on. Dear missionaries who have come from the field and you feel burdened when you think of what you are going through there, labor on. Please do not dilute the gospel. Labor on. Challenges, well, yes, they're there. They're there. And uh, Peter and John faced them, but turned them around as opportunities for the gospel. And Kabwata Baptist Church, uh, your history is well known. I have pieces of it here. There is a book there. But let me say that your work is not yet done. Uh, and indeed, when the Lord is pleased to remove 
some of you, then the Lord uh, will be bringing some. Last night, uh, the teenagers sang here so well, uh, and I pray that they will uh, grow to be those who can be sent out today. Younger ones uh, lined themselves up here and sung, uh, please, this work must continue when we are gone. The work must continue. May the Lord then be praised. Uh, challenges will be there, but then the gospel must continue. Let us pray. Lord our God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are building your church. And just at times in history, then you are pleased to raise your people up. And the portion of history that was read fairly finely prepared from the book by fire and by cloud, thank you for the records that are kept. And then what we have now seen, Lord, from your word, this has always been the case. You are, certainly you're building your church, but you are also, who are sovereign, allowing challenges to be there. And really so that we do not trust in ourselves, but that we may move forward and move urgently in the face of challenges. If everything went smooth, we would be too relaxed. Lord, I do pray that therefore what we have seen today, what we have heard earlier, will be a great encouragement for every one of us. But I pray also, Lord, if there be, and in a meeting like this, those who have not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, oh, that they would once again know there is no other name given among men that we must, through whom we must be saved. It is Christ alone. And this, therefore, is the opportunity. This is the day Christ is lifted up again, proclaimed again. Lord, why should they even leave this meeting unsaved? Oh, Lord, you are the one who calls men to yourself and you save them. Would you not even today call men and women and boys and girls to put their trust in the Lord Jesus? Hear our prayer for these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.